The sermon text for this morning is John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18, as we continue our study through the Gospel of John. Now, there are uh, two big ideas in this passage. Uh, There is the healing that Jesus brings to the disabled man and the glory that the healing reveals about our Lord. That's one main idea. And then there is the issue that the religious leaders raised about the fact that Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath. And we'll read about that in verse 16. Now this morning, uh, we will focus on the first big idea. We'll focus on the healing of the disabled man. And then next Sunday, we'll consider these verses again and focus on the issue of the Sabbath that the religious leaders raise. And so let us now read our text for this morning, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as There was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. This was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now what we see emphasized in this text, specifically at the beginning of this chapter, is the physical condition of the people gathered around this pool in Jerusalem. We read there in verse 3, There was a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now, we see that the emphasis here is on their suffering and their inability. Now, in our modern world, especially in developed nations, we know that people who suffer blindness or paralysis um, are not necessarily completely limited or held back in life. That's because we have uh, modern medical technologies 
and we have modern equipment that can help ease some of the difficulties that come with living with such disabilities. I see this, for example, with my elderly parents that as their mobility becomes more and more limited, they are now in their 80s, uh, they, you know, they get new medical devices or they'll get a new medical treatment that kind of helps them get by a little bit easier. Doesn't make it easy, but it makes it a little bit easier somewhat to get some relief. And that's simply because of the modern age that we live in. But loved ones, we need to remember that this time and this place in which we read about the situation of these people who were suffering, this time and this place um, in Jerusalem, the suffering people there did not have the medical technologies and the comforts that we have uh, today. These suffering people who lived 2,000 years ago did not have the benefits that we have of modern medical care. There weren't many special devices for them to help them get by in life as there are today. There wasn't something like the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is a law in our country that prohibits discrimination against individuals with disabilities in all areas of public life, including jobs and transportation and all places that are open to the general public. The purpose of such a law is to make sure that people with disabilities have the same rights and opportunities as everyone else. But you see, there was nothing like this in the ancient world. The condition of the suffering people whom Jesus saw that day was severe. These were the people in that society who would have been considered totally helpless and completely dependent. They would have been considered totally unable to help themselves and to sustain themselves. We see this especially in the way that they are categorized together as a group. See, John uses the word invalids to describe them, which means that they suffered debilitating diseases and disorders. And as such, they were completely dependent on the kindness of others to help them. You know, one example that we have in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 2 is of, the, of a man who was paralyzed. And I want us to, to read that account to get a better idea of, of what an invalid in Jesus' day faced. Mark chapter 2, we read beginning at verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier 
to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, several things are striking about this passage in Mark chapter 2, and among them is the four men who brought this paralyzed man to Jesus. How did they do it? We see that they had to carry him on a bed. See, the rocky and muddy roads of the ancient world couldn't accommodate something like a wheelchair. No, in order for the paralyzed man in the story to be able to get around, four people had to be there with him at all times to help him, to lift him, to carry him. And in our passage in John's Gospel, Jesus focuses in on just such a man, focuses in on one man among the many there who were suffering because of a debilitating disability. We read in John chapter 5, verses 5 through 6, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time. This man, in the Gospel of John chapter 5, we see does not seem to have the help and the friendship that the man in Mark chapter 2 had. The man who had four people to carry him to see Jesus. Notice in our passage this morning that this man says to Jesus in verse 7, he says, Sir, I have no one. I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. See, loved ones, what we're meant to understand here is the suffering and the total inability of the people that Jesus saw that day around that pool in Jerusalem. We're meant to see especially this man whom he spoke to directly. And their suffering and their inability is a picture of the destruction that sin has brought upon humanity. Their suffering and inability points to our helpless condition as fallen sinners, what we refer to as total depravity. This means that every aspect of our being is affected by the fall into sin, that there is no corner of our beings that is not corrupted. In fact, the Bible often uses the language of physical suffering and inability to picture how our souls are also fallen and affected by sin. One example is in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. The Lord asks, the sinful and the rebellious people of Judah, as he warns them of his judgment for their sins, he asks, why do you continue to invite punishment? Must you rebel forever? Your head is injured and your heart is sick. You are battered from head to foot, covered with bruises, welts, and infected wounds without any soothing ointments or bandages. God there pointing to physical disorders in order to reveal their inner sinfulness. One pastor explains, included in our depravity 
are our hands, which are full of blood, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15. Our feet, which run to evil, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 16. Our tongue, which is used to deceive, Romans chapter 3, verse 13. Our eyes, which are haughty or proud, as we read in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 4. Includes our ears, which are closed and dull of hearing when God is speaking, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10. Our minds, which are futile and darkened in understanding, as we read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. And our hearts, especially our hearts, which are corrupt. This is what the prophet Jeremiah exclaims. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? He says in chapter 17, verse 9. You will sometimes hear it said of someone who has committed a serious crime that he has a good heart. But the chief problem of everyone, loved ones, is that the opposite is true. When it comes to our spiritual condition, we are like the people there at that pool in Jerusalem. Apart from Christ, we are all spiritual invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And we are therefore completely dependent upon God's grace to seek us out and to heal us. And that's what we see demonstrated through the cure that Jesus brings. The cure that Jesus brings here in our text We see the dependency of this man on Jesus is underlined by the fact that he was unable to move himself to the water. But his dependency is revealed also in the fact that there was no one around that was willing to help him get to the water. Not only was he unable to move himself, but there was no one around that was willing to help him. Even those around were unable because They were too blind or disabled themselves. And others who were healthy in and around Jerusalem were unwilling to help him. John the Evangelist, the writer of this gospel, what he's underlining for us here is the inability of people to bring about the salvation that we all so desperately need. You know, sometimes we may put much stock in our own ability to save but we might also be tempted to place our trust in another person. Perhaps in our own pride, we might think it's under our ability at some point and in some way to save ourselves. Or perhaps we might put that same trust in another person, perhaps in a great philosopher or a great inventor. But what we see here in the Gospel of John in this passage is that both are weak and unable because both come from the power of man, either from within ourselves or from others. We are completely unable to save ourselves. We know that God in his common grace allows us to invent, to create, to ease our lives through technological advancement, but we should never be deluded into thinking that this will lead to some kind of ultimate salvation and deliverance, some kind of utopia that we can set up on this earth as human beings. And so John points here, he underlines for us man's inability. But he also points out the foolish things that many people place their hopes in. Because 
we see that this man, for example, believed that the spring water in the pool could heal his crippling disability. Now, the ESV Bible, which we read from this morning, it has a footnote indicating that verse 4 in our text uh, was most likely not originally part of John's gospel. And this footnote uh, ultimately sought to explain why people were at the pool in Jerusalem. If you notice there, it says, And these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. Now that verse has been moved to the footnotes to indicate that it's missing from the earliest and best manuscripts that we have of John's gospel. And so, therefore, this was likely a superstition that had arisen in Jesus' day to explain the movement of the spring waters in the pool. And, and it could have been influenced by stories like Naaman's that we read from 2 Kings chapter 5 when he was healed of his leprosy by bathing in the River Jordan. We need to remember that a lot of people who had bathed in the River Jordan before Naaman and after Naaman who had leprosy were not healed. This reveals that the power is not in the water itself, but in God alone. And so this man in John chapter 5, you see apparently he hoped to be healed by being first into the waters after an angel stirred them. Let us make no mistake about it, friends. This man deserves our pity because he was hoping for something in his desperate condition. But we also need to acknowledge that the Bible does not teach that God set up pools in Jerusalem so that people could be healed in this way. It doesn't teach that angels came down and stirred up water so that the first person into the pool would get better. We are to understand then that this poor man had vain hopes based on ignorant superstitions. Many today, we know, are carried away by similar vain hopes and superstitions. Did you know that you could order holy water from the River Jordan online? There's a thriving market for such things because people continue to be led astray by vain hopes and superstitions. This is what the reformers were actively fighting against during the Reformation. But we know, loved ones, that man cannot save himself, and neither can vain hopes and superstitions. James Boyce, he writes, it is a desperate picture if we take it seriously, yet it is the glorious prelude to the gospel of God's grace. For it is to such people, the spiritually blind, lame, and paralyzed, that Christ came. We read that the Lord Jesus Christ walked into that vast collection of sick people and saw there a man who had been disabled for 38 years. No one recognized Christ as he moved among them, for they were blind spiritually. Besides, they had their hopes set on the superstition about the moving water. No one rose to meet him, for they were lame. No one reached out a hopeful hand 
they were paralyzed. Yet Jesus moved among them and healed this most helpless of sinners. Do you want to be healed? Jesus asked him. The disabled man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going another steps down before me. And Jesus commanded, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well and did as Jesus commanded. That is how God saves sinners today, loved ones. If our salvation depended upon our recognizing him and reaching out a hand toward him, who would be saved? The answer is no one. Yet instead of waiting for us to come, instead of waiting to help those who help themselves, as the saying goes, Christ comes to us and he speaks the words that give life. After considering the man's condition and how he is a picture of our spiritual condition, and then seeing the cure that Jesus alone brings, let us now consider the caution that Jesus gives. The caution that Jesus gives. We read in verses 13 through 14, Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, it's obvious that the man did not know Jesus' true identity, so he didn't know how this healing came about. And so we see that Jesus, in a sense, tracked him down in order to drive home the spiritual reality of what had just taken place. Because notice in our account that we read so far of the healing of this man, there's no indication of a change in the man's spiritual condition. For example, in the passage that we read from Mark chapter 2, we see that Jesus clearly addressed both the man's physical needs and the man's spiritual needs. He both healed him and said, son, your sins are forgiven. But for this man in John chapter 5, Jesus had not directly addressed his spiritual need. And so we read here that when Jesus met him again in the temple area, this time no longer disabled, but walking around and healed, Jesus said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The Lord Jesus was calling him to repentance and faith. And he was calling him to turn from his sins, we know, in order to avoid the greater punishment, which is eternal damnation. He was making it clear to this man that the most important thing in this life is not physical healing, but spiritual wholeness. The most important thing in this life is to have a soul that is at peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And by healing him, our Lord demonstrated his sovereign power to to restore what sin had destroyed, ultimately pointing to the blessings of regeneration, loved ones, and the life of the world to come. In the same way, Jesus is calling you and me to turn from our sin and to trust in him for salvation. He alone has the sovereign power to restore what sin has destroyed, to heal both the corruption of our bodies 
end the corruption of our souls. See, this sign, this miracle here in John chapter 5, points to both of these wonderful realities. The reality that for those who trust in Christ, our bodies will be raised to newness of life on the last day, and in that day we will be free of disabilities and pain and the troubles that come in this life. The Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 57, asks a very important question. What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer for you and to you? How are you comforted by this sure hope that one day your body will be raised uh, by Christ? The answer is not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ, but also my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. That's the comfort that we rest in, that even as our body is fading away and breaking apart due to entropy and age and the struggles and difficulties of this life, we know that we will be raised because Christ was raised in power and glory and we will be raised like unto his glorious body. And this miracle in John chapter 5 also points us to the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit in this life. That even now, loved ones, at this very moment, we can begin experiencing the blessings of this new life in Christ, the blessings of spiritual wholeness and of peace with God through Jesus Christ when we turn from our sins and we trust in him alone. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for revealing the way of salvation through Jesus and for the, re- the assurance that our salvation brings the full restoration that we all long for. Uh, renewed heaven and earth where we will live with Christ in renewed bodies, freed from sin to joyfully serve our Savior forever. And we thank you, Lord, for the reminders in this life of that coming day. Uh, You feed us by your word and spirit and the table before us, that we are even now new creations in Christ Jesus. We pray for the word that we heard preached today and for the gospel message that we heard in the hymns and the prayers, and the scripture readings. Lord, cause this word to be received by glad, obedient, and trusting hearts. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.